Today on Contravariance, we have a very special guest. We will talk with Patrick Balestra about platform teams. Now you might wonder, what is a platform team? Um, this is a sort of team that doesn't really work on directly on UI or UX for the app, for example. It more works on generic items, on shared items, or on the build system, on a variety of other things uh, that happen to be required once you have a certain amount of developers. So with that said, hello, Patrick. Do you want to briefly introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, as you said, my name is Patrick. I'm uh, originally from the Italian part of Switzerland. I'm now living in Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, I've been working at Spotify for around the last two and a half years. Nice. Spotify, I guess, is a pretty big company nowadays, right? Yeah, it is pretty big. Um, you could say it's pretty big for the uh, current size of, uh, of our mobile team and engineering uh, teams as well. Uh, can you say how many mobile iOS engineers you have? Uh, I think nowadays we definitely have more than 100, something like that. I think uh, the last uh, number is uh, something along mm. those lines. Yeah. Do you still, when you have that many people, do you still kind of know all of the iOS engineers? Or is there like, do you uh, oftentimes you, know, you look at the pull request, you see a name and you're like, who's that? No, we are definitely too big to be able to follow all the pull requests. So <laughs> I only, luckily, I, I'm only able to look at the actual pull requests that require my attention. So um, especially during the pandemic, we had a lot of people join and it's really difficult to keep track of who is working on what exactly. Right. So you work in a kind of platform team at Spotify, right? Do you want to briefly talk a little bit about what you're doing there, tasks? Sure. Um, yeah, we have a lot of uh, platform teams, uh, of course, depending on the definition of a platform team. And uh, my primary job for the last two and a half years has been to work on the local developer experience for iOS engineers. So what that means is that uh, my team takes care of improving the tooling and uh, the speed at which our developers can work. Uh, so we take care of all kinds of things related to Xcode and the local developer experience, which you know, starts from generating the project to um, building and running the tests locally and the linting formatting and you know, committing the code and pushing it uh, to, to our continuous integration system. And um, how many people do you have on that team? Uh, so we have multiple teams which are um, split up you know, by platform sometimes. And uh, my team is actually pretty special because usually you, know, you may know that Spotify has very autonomous teams called squads. So each squad usually has a couple of iOS engineers, Android engineers, designers, product managers. Um, but in platform teams, we have something a bit different, especially for the local development experience. We have a team for iOS and a, a separate team for Android. Uh, and those teams vary you know, the usual size of a team from three to five to mm. eight or 10 people depending on um, the team itself. When you say um, around building and so on, this means like I, as an iOS developer, I oftentimes run into Xcode issues. And in this case, were I at Spotify, I could, I could just talk to you. So you would be the one that, that looks more into the Xcode issues, right? And uh, I could focus on placing buttons. 
for example? Yeah, exactly. I think the main goal of our team is that we want to provide a good experience to developers. And of course, we spend a lot of time solving issues and making sure that everything uh, runs as smooth as possible. Um, and uh, we, we provide like a lot of tools to developers. So we want to help them focus on delivering features and, you know, writing the fun code while we kind of like take care of the lower part of the, of the, of the infrastructure of the app. Does that also involve um, rewriting a lot of tooling that comes from Apple for free? Because when you when you write your own solutions, uh, it's easier to to bug fix it and to to understand what's happening. Yeah, we we try not to do that too often because, of course, that's uh, that creates like a big learning curve for people coming into the company. So we try to stick um, to to what Apple provides, but of course, there are just sometimes where you can just do that and you have to come up with the smart ideas or um, very ugly acts in order to improve the developer experience because you have to do you know what's what's possible on your side to improve the experience you can't just uh, rely on uh, apple or google to fix stuff uh, for you as soon as as soon as possible mm -hmm. do you have an example of something that you worked on that you can share um, so that people can have an understanding of what kind of tasks this and um these are? Yeah, so we recently open sourced uh, Eximetrics, uh, which is a tool uh, that allows teams to collect bill metrics uh, from Xcode logs. So Xcode uh, creates a, a file uh, which is in the drive data directory, which is uh, of the extension XC activity log. And one problem that we ran into was that we needed to know how our developer experience was like. Like we needed to know how fast are our developers building? Is it really painful? Or, um, you know, if we are making some improvements in, in our develop in the build system, how do we know if these improvements are actually, you know, uh, improving the, um, the developer experience? So we built this tool that allows to collect all the logs and then sends them to a backend service that then persists these logs and this data into a database. And in this way, we can track like the historical um, progress of our project. We can track, you know, how many targets we have, how many files do we have, what, what's the percentage of Swift and Objective-C, and uh, if our build times are uh, increasing too much, we can try to do something about it. And it's very, very useful also for keeping track of um, the new Xcode releases that are released, for example. You know, before we didn't know if we should upgrade to the newest Xcode version of if there could be you know, big bugs that we couldn't uh, really um, work around ourselves. So now we can run some kind of like benchmark um, jobs that always use the latest Xcode version. And then we can compare that kind of data with our you know, live data of the latest internal Xcode version. Um, so this has been open source recently um, and it has been um, pretty well um, adopted already by a few companies and we have a few contributions. So this is kind of like the um, work that we do. We try to come up with ideas and solutions that we can uh, uh, try to, um, to create, to fill some of the missing you know, parts of the ecosystem that we have today. Mm -hmm. Um, at Xing, the company where I work, I also work on a platform team. And just to give another example for the listeners of what kind of tasks fall into that, 
something that we recently worked on was um, adding additional meta information to our crash reports in order to better easily be able to to fix a bug, like to shorten the time between running into a bug and fixing it. It's useful to have more information on that, right? Obviously, you need to keep GDPR in place and make sure that you only share the information you can you can share. Um, but that was a topic we looked into where we tried to figure out what can we actually, what kind of data can we actually add? How do we add it and so on? And this is something we added and that was beneficial for all the developers because they can now much easier figure out where a certain crash happened. Um, you mentioned you have a lot of platform teams at Spotify. What are some other teams or tasks that, that basically fall into this category for Spotify? Yeah, as you said, uh, we also have a team that takes care of the crash reporting and the releasing of the app. And um, kind of like my organization takes care um, of all things for our client developers. So we we have some teams that take care of the quality of the apps. We have some teams that take care of the developer experience. Uh, and we have some teams that take care of the architecture of the app as well. Um, so we definitely have uh, different teams for uh, ensuring that our releases are you know, as streamlined as possible. We have another team that takes care of um, making sure that we provide good tooling to our developers to keep track of the performance of the app. So we can track you know, um, the startup time, we can track what are the screens that take the longest to load in the app. And then we provide, of course, this data to feature teams. So feature teams don't need to write their own library to understand if their views are taking too long to load, but we can provide you know, a simple line of code that they can um, integrate into their feature to get all the data for free. Um, and of course, we have, uh, as I said, some teams uh, where I primarily work on, which are uh, developer experience. So we have teams taking care of the testing uh, part of things, both locally and on CI. Um, we have a team taking care of the CI machines that also um, improves the uh, kind of like pull request uh, feedback. So we don't want to you know, have teams or, or people spend too long in trying to dig through the logs on CI, what's the error, but we want to try and provide them with a better experience than that. Uh, and then, of course, a big part of the organization is also um, the architectural teams that take care of, you know, reducing tech debt and figuring out where we want our architecture uh, to be in the future. Mm -hmm. Something we also have, and I guess it's the same for Spotify, is a um, design system team that basically takes care of all the UI components that can be used. So they, they look the same all over the app. Um, yeah, so I think that also falls under, under the central platform team moniker, because fundamentally it's something in a feature team you don't want to involve yourself with, right? Yeah, for sure. We we also have such a team and it's not really my organization, but it, we work very closely with them mm. and uh, they take care, of course, of the more of the UI infra part of things. So as soon as you reach one, um, you know, scale, you need to have those kind of things that do the same uh, job for the build system, but they do it for the UI side of things, right? Right. So I feel like um, some of these teams have responsibilities that are very close to some of the other responsibilities, probably. So how do you coordinate um, who's doing what? And sometimes you, I guess you have a task that falls kind of between the lines. So how does that work? Yeah, we, we do collaborate a lot uh, with other teams, of course. Um, there are tasks that are specifically on, uh, that fall specifically on the ownership of one specific team. Um, so usually that 
it's not where the problem uh, that that's not where the problems are but there are other tasks that require of course a lot of collaboration and, and synchronization between teams so during our planning sessions um, we do sync a lot and see where our dependencies are between teams. Uh, and, and it's really fun because, uh, of course, every team is also in a different location. So there is a lot of um, synchronicity as well in making sure that, you know, uh, other teams do the things that you need before actually starting your task as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And um, I guess there, I'm not sure what kind of solution you use, like Slack or Microsoft Teams or something. I guess there are specific channels where you then co can coordinate and so on to make this process as fast as possible, right? Yeah, we usually uh, how we work is that we have one Slack channel for each squad, which is the primary uh, point of communication, uh, you know, the public point of communication for everyone. So especially for platform teams, this is where most of the time uh, is spent by engineers because there are a lot of people coming in asking um, you know, new features that they need or problems that they're running into. So a lot of um, problem solving goes over Slack. Uh, and then there are also like a lot of channels where platform teams try to sync and, and see how to best uh, fix some problems uh, under the hood. Mm -hmm. And then you also have users, right? Like the people in the feature teams that might have questions and so on. So they will, you will probably also, also need to communicate with them a lot. So I, I suppose it's also a, a job that is communication heavy in terms of the coordination with the other teams and with the feature teams. Yeah, exactly. There, there is a lot of communication going on, and I think I spend an insane amount of time <laughs> on Slack. And uh, this is one one of the things that I really learned when I joined Spotify. And uh, you know, I think there are two ways to use Slack. Either you try to be in as few channels as possible because you hate you know uh, information overload, or you try to be in as many channels as you can just to make sure that you know everything that is mm -hmm. going on. And I've been trying the the the, the latter solution, um, you know, for the last two and a half years. And it's been a lot of work, I would say, but it's really, really fun because you get to see, um, you kind of like foresee problems that you will have to work in two weeks by mm -hmm. seeing one message of, you know, in another squad um, Slack channel today. And mm -hmm. it's really fun because then you're able to actually infer what the problems will be before they actually take place, which I think is a very, very uh, nice thing to do. As an aside, did you know that you can figure out in Slack how many messages you've sent? And I'm not sure if you want to know that, but I was, I, when I first saw that, I was a bit of surprised, to say the least. Yeah, I, I think I receive like every week or every month, like one report uh, from <laughs> the whole workspace of the Spotify company with how many messages we sent. And it's just okay. an insane amount of <laughs> messages. It's just insane. Uh, modern working. Um, one thing that I find interesting is let's for so for a listener that works in a company that has a certain amount of engineers and is considering whether they maybe want to start with one small platform team right the question is there are kind of two questions first of all um at what point from how many engineers on does this make sense and the second one is um how many percent of your workforce should be in that team right so that is obviously different for every company like i guess you can start with two people in a platform team when it's small but at some point let's when you have when you say you have over 100 engineers, how many percent, like what's the percentage of those that are in a platform team, platformish team? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I've been before in, in a few smaller companies and 
uh, that were quickly growing where the number of iOS engineers was probably around like you know five or six. And even there, you could see that uh, every now and then there were a couple of people spending a couple of days every now and then to fix things, you know, on a platform side, like, you know, making build times faster, fixing the CI to, to be a bit more performant and things like that. So I feel like uh, at some point when, when you reach the, uh, the point where um, some of these people and some of these engineers are spending basically their full time doing that kind of job, then you need to rethink a bit the structure and figure out where those people should be and how you can make them uh, as efficient as they can. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there isn't a, a real clear number, but I would say once you reach somewhere along the line between you know 25 to 50 engineers, you definitely need to have a central team that takes care of the developer experience. And uh, Initially, of course, you're not going to go crazy with one team for releasing, one team for you know architecture, but probably in the beginning, this team will have a lot of responsibilities. And this is how it started at Spotify as well. Many years ago, before I was here, we had an iOS infra team that was taking care of everything. Like they were taking care of you know doing the QA testing and releasing the app, submitting to Apple and making sure their performance was okay and uh, doing the Xcode upgrades. And over time, of course, the company grew and we had to split up that team into multiple teams. Um, so today, um, I think the number of people that work in, in this kind of platform-ish team, we, we have a very different platform definition, I think, from other companies. Other companies really call platform the people that really work on compilers and they work on improving the developer experience, which is um, more related to you know, build times and stuff like that. And instead, platform teams for us are also like architectural teams and, you know, releasing and performance and a lot of things. So for us, it's a pretty high percentage of people that is um, that is part of these teams. Is it like, if let's say, if you have 100 engineers, would it be half the engineers, 30, 20? I wouldn't say half, but like the, the thing is that these teams are also contain people that do backend and they do, mm -hmm. you know, web. Mm -hmm. uh, we, they are very... T-shape, I would say, uh, teams that are able to build a solution that goes from start to finish. So, so it's not just building iOS components, but it's really about building the full experience that we can provide to developers. So I would say it's more along the lines of like 20, 30% or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I don't know the exact numbers off, off the top of my head. Okay. Um, the, the platform team Maxing where I work was started also before I joined, but I think from what I heard is they had around 10 engineers when they started like a small team of two. And then from there, obviously things grew. Um, but that, that's when they realized that they needed like at least one to two people that constantly worked on um, improving the experience. Back then they were using CocoaPods and making sure that uh, the whole CocoaPods system stays in place and stuff like that. Yeah, and I guess in the beginning when you start something like that, if if your platform niche engineers um, are not working on that all the time, they can still help out with the rest. Um, but at some point they will probably be busy, especially once architecture decisions also come into that team. Then you, and then you have to do refactoring over the whole code base, which is very fun, especially once you have multiple teams and so on. So yeah, there's a lot of work. Yeah, I feel like our backlog always grows, you know, <laughs> infinitely. Like there are always so many things that you could do to improve and, you know, make uh, this uh, this message a bit nicer and fix that bug and fix that edge case. So uh, I don't think any platform team can really run out of things to do. No, especially because once a year, Apple comes with this huge surprise and then <laughs> you have this new Xcode and then all the things are different and then uh, the build system doesn't work anymore and so on. 
<laughs> yeah, before before joining Spotify, I definitely like liked. I couldn't wait, you know, <laughs> until June. Like, oh, all the new bits, like uh, finally new features, and what new API am I gonna learn this year? And now it's like, oh god, what what is what is it gonna break? This year? <laughs> what, how many months are we gonna fix? Are we gonna spend fixing things because of the new Xcode upgrade? So yeah, it, it really changed my my perspective on this. Yeah, especially with, if you also have to care about the Jenkins system, the CI, and you have to update these with a new Xcode to make sure that works. Um, a couple of years ago, I forgot which Xcode version that was, we had the problem that one of the frameworks, like it was a feature level framework that we had didn't compile with the new Xcode, but it didn't have a compile error, it just never finished building. So it would start building and I let it, I kept it building for 24 hours and it would never stop. And it's very difficult to figure out what is wrong. Like we started, commenting our code and so on and we couldn't figure out why it was at some point we stopped because we also had other things to do but we figured that if you compile it in a debug build it was fine and so for a couple of xcode releases we just included it as a debug build because that worked <laughs> that was i think yeah, I think yep. we actually ran into something similar uh, on on uh, one of the past Xcode versions. But my favorite was a, a couple of months ago. Uh, I was building uh, my my app, and every time it would get close to finish the build, my Mac would just freeze and kind of panic. And the only fix for that was to basically delete the whole derived data folder every single time. So <laughs> there was a time where I would basically build the project twice a day because I couldn't just do it anymore. Uh, it was just too much. And especially when you work on infrastructure kind of things, you have to rebuild a lot more often mm. compared to, you know, working on your, on your smaller features. So that becomes very painful, uh, very, very fast. Yeah, we, we are running Sophos on our Macs, like as a antivirus scanner that's coming from uh, from the IT department and there's nothing I obviously can do about that. And that is the downside when Xcode is busy compiling, the Mac is, and I have a modern Mac from uh, mid last year, MacBook Pro, um, it, it becomes so sluggish that I can't even type anymore. Like it's like when Xcode is building, there's nothing I can do. Like the, the, the system feels, it's not frozen, but it's so slow that it's unusable. And so I, well, I mean, what should I do? I, I take my phone, I look at things, but I can't even browse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we ran into a fun issue um, that is actually a still a, an open Swift bug, I think, where the more cores you have on your machine, the longer it takes to compile Swift. Uh, so th there were some uh, some benchmarks that we had an iMac Pro at the office and we tried to, to run the build and it turns out that it was like, you know, three times as much as building on a 13 inches MacBook Pro. And so we were like, well, what do we do here? Because we couldn't really control that. So we ended up writing and like wrapping the Swift C compiler with a C binary that would be able to always R code the number of jobs that the Swift compiler was using instead of letting Xcode uh, figure that out. Uh, and so with just that, you know, small C uh, program, we were able to boost the build times by like 30, 40% on most machines. Um, I, th I think we, story. Yeah, I think we had a couple of examples now for the listeners to consider if they <laughs> want to join a team like that. I hope I didn't scare anyone off uh, from a platform team with this uh, funny story. Um, at the Swift Heroes um, conference that happened a couple of weeks, I think ago, time flies during these times. Um, one of your um, one one other. Um, Spotify employee, Bruno Rocha, gave an interesting talk about the de dependency management system um, that you use at Spotify, um, because the, obviously you have a lot of 
I would say frameworks now. I guess you have a different kind of uh, naming for that. And you, not everybody can import everything once you have a lot of these and you have a nice system for that. Do you briefly want to go into that um, and into how that works? Because this is something we also use in a very different way. Um, it's For us, it's also respons a responsibility of the platform team to work on things like that. So that for me would be another nice example of the kind of work that um, happens. Yeah, uh, I'm not an expert on the dependency system kind of things. Uh, I have looked briefly into the archi architecture, but I'm sure that we can link to the uh, talk that you're referring to so they can learn a bit more. And yeah, like when you have such a big project, you really have to try and be um, as declarative as possible to make sure that all the dependencies are declared both at build time and at the runtime. Um, so we have like some kind of YAML definition that allows teams to specify which other features they depend on so that we can figure out the dependency graph at build time. And then we also have like more of a dynamic um, injection system at runtime where uh, you can uh, define, every feature can define which other features they depend on and then they can get injected with an instance of that specific feature at runtime so that it can perform other tasks. So it works really well. And I think this is not just something that is present in you know, big projects, but I think you know, much smaller projects can benefit a lot from this kind of architecture as well. Yeah, especially because you, you also can control the compile time a bit better, right? Because you don't have this huge dependency tree that, that pops up um, just everything that is used by the system. Yeah, we have some jobs as well to analyze like the dependency tree and make sure that uh, you know there are no um, useless dependencies between uh, the, the the features that are slowing down the build. So we make sure that the dependency graph is as clean as possible mm -hmm. as well, just to make sure that we can be as performant as we can. Another example of things you do on the platform team. Um, yeah. I, once, I once heard that at Spotify, you're not allowed to have uh, Swift and Objective-C together in one framework. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. So this is like kind of like a limitation that we came up with uh, at some point when we were looking at uh, how to integrate Swift in, into our main music app. And the reason for that is because it takes, uh, there are a lot of pitfalls when having Swift and Objective-C in the same module. And uh, we didn't just want to go there because we were really scared about like the possible build times implication as well. Um, so we decided just to try and avoid that because we could from the beginning. So we said, you know, Swift is in one module, Objective-C mm -hmm. in the other module, um, and then we can come up with some ways to um, be able to interface the two uh, in, in static libraries though, and like in different static libraries. So that, that, but if I understand that correctly, that means you can only have dependencies in one direction, right? So either Swift can import Objective-C or the other way around, but you can't have the types in both. No, exactly. You can't have circular dependencies. Uh, but of course, an Objective-C feature can import Swift, and another Swift feature can import that Objective-C feature as well. So there aren't really that many limitations for, for a developer. It's just that uh, you know, if you are in a team that owns like a big Objective-C Objective feature, it might be a while until you refactor your feature to be able mm -hmm. to um, split it up into multiple features and then rewrite or write new parts in, in Swift. Yeah. Do you still write Objective-C at Spotify or does it only like happen if one of these existing code bases in the module is extended? 
Yeah, I think most of the new code is Swift. Uh, I haven't seen too many Objective C features being cre being created, um, other than you know very very uh, good reasons, you know performance reasons or you know interfacing with C plus plus or things like that. Uh, so most of the new code is definitely Swift. Mm -hmm. I think we we talked very well about the uh, the platform teams and what kind of tasks happen in there. Is there anything else you want to uh, mention or talk about in within this context or topic? No, maybe I just wanted to say about the Mobile Native Foundation that was uh, recently right. launched. Um, so we, uh, a couple of companies, uh, and it's actually baked by and supported by a lot of companies in the industry, we decided to launch a Mobile Native Foundation, which is very similar to the CNCF, which is the Cloud uh, Native Computing Foundation, which you may be familiar with. And the idea of the foundation is to basically um, share knowledge and share tooling between uh, big um, mobile teams and you know as you may know mobile development is kind of like a new technology compared to backend and web that have been around for many many decades um, so we want to provide a, a space where um, all kind of teams can um, share knowledge and share tools and problems that they've run into. Um, and so hopefully this can be like a place where um, collaboration can really um, kickstart you know, by a few different companies and not just like companies reinventing the wheel and every time building their own solutions internally mm -hmm. and not sharing it with the community. Yeah, this is a really cool project. Um, something interesting I saw there the other day was a kind of build cache that works for Xcode um, across multiple systems. So if one of your engineers or if the CI system compiles a, a dynamic framework, then basically on another system, it can be imported without you having to recompile it again based on a hash, for example, which is something that I guess for most companies that have a certain size really reduces the compile time because um, why would you need to recompile something that was already compiled five times on another system? You, you are not going to change anything. Like most people only work on a very small subset of the source code in, in bigger repositories. So all the other things you could just take in a compiled manner and uh, you, you save a lot of time. Yeah, that's really cool. So that was the, the general part about the platform team. Um, let's maybe talk a bit more about um, other things that uh, that are interesting. Um, the last time we saw each other was at a conference at the NS Spain in, uh, in Spain. And uh, do, you, do you hope that this year we might see in-person conferences again? Or do you think that's not going to happen? I think I'm hopeful it will it will take place, especially in the US or in other countries where the situation is much better. And I've been like a strong opponent, in my opinion, on like remote conferences because it's just not the same as before. And like the, the fun stuff of, of you know going to a conference was meeting people and having fun and going out mm -hmm. and, and drinking in, in, in Logroño and things like that and meeting new people. And that's just not the same online. So I'm really hoping that um, we, we can go back soon to, to meet new people and uh, share opinions in person for sure. Yeah, I also hope so. I'm I'm a little bit confident that maybe some of the conferences, especially the ones later in the year, might happen again. Um, but yeah, who knows? Or maybe some are also moved later into the year just so that can happen. That could obviously also be the case. Do you? Um, how do you currently fill up your time? I mean, I guess as as with most people, you're probably a lot at home. Yeah, I, I spend a lot of uh, a lot of time at home for sure, and um, I've been getting more and more into games, um, computer games in the last year. Like before that, I wasn't really a gamer. I kind of like hated games. I actually started my 
career writing games for myself and like uh, writing games and publishing them on the app store. But then I quickly realized, well, I want to do something more useful for people. I want to build some more utility apps. Uh, but uh, last year I built myself a gaming PC just, just for fun. And I've been uh, playing some, some games online with friends and that's how we keep in touch uh, nowadays. Uh, funny, I did the same thing last year. Like after many years, I built a gaming PC. Now I I, I did it under the rules that I would um, install Linux and then play around with Linux. I did that. I just never boot into it, <laughs> but it's it's there. Um, I, I guess everybody plays different games. Um, I'm playing a lot of The Witcher Three because that's something I always wanted to play, and it's it's like this little different world where I can actually walk around in and enter bars and so on. Uh, so that's a little bit fun. Is there like a particular game you're playing a lot that you enjoy? Yeah, I play Call of Duty Warzone just with some friends. Um, I, I've been wanting to try and get into some more games and expand my kind of like horizon in gaming, but I, I just haven't got around to doing that. I bought a few games, but I just haven't had the time or um, they're willing to go out of my comfort zone and just mm. playing always the same game. Yeah, did you play Fortnite? I did not play Fortnite. Okay. I think I'm, I'm still too old for that. Maybe <laughs> I like my my cousin tried to um, to teach me how to play that, and I just couldn't understand it. So <laughs> I, I gave up after trying for one hour. Okay, yeah, I, I tried it because I wanted to see what the fuss is about. But I think I think I think I'm too old for it. Like it's <laughs> you have to do so many things at the same time, right? You have to shoot and run and then build houses and hide in these houses and stuff like that, and all at the same time. And I was so bad at it that I would I would it was fun to drive around with the trucks and crash into things, but I was always the first one to be killed. And so and then yeah, it stops being fun. Yeah, I feel like I'm a very bad gamer because I recently started. Like I never really gamed a lot, you know, on computer or on, on, on any console, basically. So I would mostly play, you know, the usual sport games or car games, racing and stuff like that. But as soon as I started getting into, you know, some of the more uh, first person shooter games, I was like, why am I so bad at this? Like my hand-eye coordination is so bad. I'm mm. so slow. And uh, so it definitely takes a lot of time to, to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I played a lot when I was a kid. Um, and then stopped like 10 years ago. But I guess once you once you did that, you still have a bit of it. Um, I also play a lot of Mario Kart against friends. Like we do that online all the time, um, which is something that everybody kind of can agree on. Um, it's just driving around and throwing bananas. It's, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was a very nice episode. Thanks for joining. Bye.